Okay, we're uh, going through a study of 1 John. And uh, I'm going to finish up on the uh, study guide that we started maybe a couple of weeks ago. Alicia, it's so good to see you. And um, so I think we are to the point in the study guide where it says the apostles desires that we also may experience the word of life. Okay? And um, so... 1 John chapter 1, verses 3-4 through 4 says, That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write me unto you that your joy uh, may be full. So, uh, Lord, um, folks, um, there is a threat to our fellowship. And that's really what I want to stress. And in John's day, it was no different. There was a threat to the fellowship of these believers. And it was due to the threat of the teaching of those that were attempting to woo these believers away from the truth, to woo these believers away from the truth, to hinder or ruin their fellowship uh, with God the Father and God the Son. That's the reason why John is writing this epistle. I I cannot emphasize that enough. Okay, John, the theme of John's epistle is fellowship with God. And it is this fellowship that he wants to assure these believers about. So on your study guide, John is declaring these things in order for their fellowship to remain intact. And to assure them that the faith that they have been taught is sufficient. To overcome the pressure from without. The faith that they've been taught, the faith that they know, the truth that they believe in, that is sufficient to overcome the pressure without. And I say that because there will be those that will tell you that that is not true. That that is not true. So on your study guide, uh, the blank is fellowship is a... Yes, ma'am, they do know. Okay, everybody, this is last week's, we're finishing last week's study guide. Okay? Alright. So on your blank, fellowship is a partnership. I mean, it's many, many things, but it is a partnership as far as our study is concerned. Again, on your study sheet, it is a biblical fact that Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection have reconciled us to God. That is an amazing work of grace, being reconciled back to God. Uh, Romans chapter 5, verses 8 through 10 says, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So the enmity that lay between us and and God, between sinful man and righteous God, has been settled in Jesus Christ. Has been settled in Jesus Christ. And because of Jesus Christ, uh, we now are reconciled to the Father and we now can have this fellowship that First John wants us to know and enjoy. 
Uh, to accomplish this reconciliation, uh, Jesus Christ took upon him the form of a servant. That's what Philippians chapter 2 talks about. And was made in the likeness of men. Okay? Uh, why did he do this? Why did he do this? Well, Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9 says, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Now stop and think about that. Who is Jesus Christ? He's God in the flesh. God incarnate. You know what that says? God himself came in the flesh to die for you and me. That is an amazing truth. That is an amazing truth. Hebrews 2.14 says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage now I want to talk a little bit about Hebrews 2 14 through 15 so on your study guide the word translated partakers means to share fully all of Adam's progeny that's you and me share fully in Adam's flesh and Adam's blood including his sin nature that's also on the blank which I believe is in some way connected with the blood of Adam because the Bible tells us that life is in the what? in the blood life is in the blood Genesis 9, 4-5, Leviticus 17, 11, 14 and other verses so on your study guide the word translated took part means to take a part, but not a full part. Not a full part. That's important. That's important. Though Adam's progeny had a full part of Adam, this is on your study guide, both his flesh and blood, Christ only took part of Adam, his flesh. For he was of the seed of David through Mary. Luke 3.31, Romans 1.30, and his lineage, again, through Mary, is traced all the way back to who? Adam. Adam. You read about that in Luke chapter 4. This is why there's two genealogies in the Gospels. Matthew's genealogy through Joseph. Luke's genealogy through Mary. Hey, yes, ma'am. So after the word translated for takers, there's a section that says A, and then we have two blanks has been contracted between God and man. Um, yes, I'm coming to... Oh, yeah. Thank you very much. So, on your study guide, a divine affiliation has been contracted between God and man by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. A divine affiliation. Hebrews 10, 4 through 5 through 6 says, For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body thou hast prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast had no pleasure. And that is the crucial matter. The crucial matter is the blood. So on your study guide, 
the crucial man, through, though Christ took on the form of a man, yet his blood was not that of Adam, but that of God's. For Christ's blood was, this is the blank, innocent blood, untainted by Adam's sin, and Christ's blood was divine blood. Divine blood. Acts 20, verse 28 says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. God's own blood purchased our redemption, folks. That's pretty heavy. That's pretty heavy. When Judas betrayed Jesus... And he went to the Pharisees and he threw the money back at them. He said in Matthew 27, 4, I have sinned and that I have betrayed thee innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? See thou to it. The innocent blood. Now... The more popular and most often read versions such as the NIV, ASV, ESV, NASB, NLT, RSV, Douay, Reims, Catholic, all those other Bibles that are so popular, even the New King James Version, they'll all either say innocent blood or one who is innocent or an innocent man or guiltless blood. And they do not include the definite article, the, T-H-E. That is used before noun to indicate that there is something specific about this blood. In the modern Gnostic translations, this specificity that's a tough word for me to say, of Christ's blood is removed or diminished. I recall listening to a very popular radio preacher, and you would know who he is if I give you the guy's name. Very popular. And I remember some years ago listening to him on the way home from work, teaching on the blood of Jesus Christ, and this man, this very popular teacher that many people listen to, he's got a huge church. He said there was nothing special about the blood of Jesus. That it was like any other man's blood. And he said the significance, according to this popular teacher, the significance was the death of Jesus and not so much the blood of Jesus. And this guy is a big time preacher. A lot of people buy his books. Well, what does the book say? 1 Peter 1.18 says, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Now, if Jesus' blood was not special, if it was like any other man's blood, then why did the Holy Ghost have Peter write down that it was precious blood? My blood's not precious to anybody but to me. Right? So what would make Jesus Christ's precious blood precious to all of us? If it's not all about the blood, then 
Why did Peter call it precious? Why is it a blood without blemish and a blood without spots? Well, you guys might know this, but in case you don't. In conception, uh, the infant in the womb doesn't receive its blood through the mother. In fact, from my understanding, if the blood of the mother mixes with the blood of the child, then there's a problem for both. But rather, the blood comes from the seed of the Father. Now, who's the Father of Jesus Christ? Christ took part of Adam's race in order to condemn sin in the flesh. Romans 8.3 says, For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. Jesus had our flesh. Jesus had our flesh. Yet Jesus Christ made an atonement for our sin by the shedding of his innocent blood. God's blood, sinless blood shed from sinful man. Does God sin? No. No. Romans 5.11, and not only so, but we also join God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Unless Jesus Christ's blood was the innocent blood, the blood of an innocent, we would have no atonement, folks. So I'm sorry, Mr. Hotshot Preacher. There is something special about Jesus' blood. The type that God gave us in Genesis of the covering of Adam's nakedness by the coat of skins, that was from an innocent victim. Each one had to have a coat of skins. Adam and Eve each had to have their own coat of skin provided by God. You know what that tells me? That salvation is an individual decision. Not a collective decision. Just because you belong to a Baptist church or a Methodist church or your mom and dad or no, it's a personal decision. Personal decision. On your study guide, in regards to fellowship as a partnership, one may say that the Lord has in his incarnation partnered is the blank, with fallen man in his body in order to deliver man from his sin and its consequences. And now redeemed man is partnered with God by Christ's blood. In the Bible, the strongest covenant made between individuals was the blood covenant. You couldn't get any stronger covenant than the blood covenant. Hebrews chapter 9 verses 11 through 12 says, But Christ being come a high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood. He entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. God has given us a blood covenant. And that blood covenant is sealed with the innocent blood of his only begotten son. You can't get any stronger than that. That's one of the arguments against loss of salvation. Because God never breaks a blood covenant. 
There's no condition to it. It's unconditional. Hebrews 4.15 For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities but was at all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. He was without sin because he had the innocent blood. On your study guide God who is a giving God his grace knows no limitations and that Jesus took part of us our flesh to save us and we who believe are now made partakers of him who redeemed us? Partakers. Second Peter 1, 3-4 says, According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption is in the world through lust it was the shed blood of Jesus Christ that made this possible that we could be partakers of the divine nature the Holy Spirit of God cannot take up residence within us unless we are covered by the blood the word partaker means to share fully We have all of God that we need. So when somebody is praying, Oh, Holy Ghost, be with us, that's not a good prayer because He is with us. Oh, give me more of your Spirit. No, we've got all of His Spirit that we're ever going to get. The, the issue is this. Does God have all of you? Does God have all of your heart, mind, soul, and body? That's the problem, folks. On your study guide, the word partaker is also translated as partner, 2 Corinthians 8.23, companion, Hebrews 10.33, and fellowship, 1 Corinthians 10.20. All of those are relational terms. Because of Jesus Christ, we have a relationship with the Father. That's why we say in our discipleship lessons, what is it that we say in the very first lesson? It's not a religion, it's a relationship. Because that's what it is. I don't want no stinking religion. I want a living vibrant relationship with God okay letter D do you have letter D okay I'm, I'm still tracking good so on your study guide this experience of fellowship with the Father and the Son is only possible by the indwelling spirit of truth and the record that is true and dwelling spirit and the record. John five, first John five seven says, For there are three that bear a record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. And yes, that does belong in your Bible, and I will give you evidence of that when we get there. So on your study guide, the Holy Spirit of God has taken residence is the blank in the believer and by his presence we can now have fellowship with the Father and with his Son Jesus Christ if you don't have the Holy Spirit of God 
you have no relationship with God. That's what the Bible says. That's not what I'm saying. 1 John 2.20 says, But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. So to finish off this one, this means that we have received an anointing from the Holy One. 1 John 2.27 But the anointing which ye have received of Him abideth in you. And you need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you all things, and is the truth, and is no lie. And even as taught you, you shall abide in him. So take careful note about what John says concerning this anointing. One, this anointing abideth in you. It is internal. Number two, this anointing teaches us. Confirming the record that it is true. And then three, this anointing is truth. He is the spirit of truth to counteract the spirit of error. Okay, so that should be the last three blanks. Now we'll get on to the next one. Next study guide. And what I want to talk about is joy. And so far in my study, I've got um, uh, three... There's a three-part, it's a three-part study. So we'll be in it for about six months. But I want to talk about joy. So 1 John 1.3 is our text. 1 John 1.3 through 4. This is part one. We won't get through all of it. But that which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write, write we unto you that your joy may be partially full. No. It says full, folks. It says full. Alright, so on your study guide, uh, in these verses we learn about the main theme of John's epistle is a fellowship with God. Okay? God the Father and God the Son. So fellowship, fellowship, not salvation, fellowship. If you don't keep that in mind, then when you go through John and you read things like the sin unto death and all that kind of stuff, it's going to really throw, throw you for a loop. But if you keep in mind that John is talking about fellowship with God, it'll help you navigate through some of these... And there are some very difficult passages in 1 John 2 if you don't think about from the aspect of fellowship. This fellowship is, is with the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. And without knowing him, we cannot know the Father. Oh, now that's pretty brass, Jeff. That's a, that's a pretty bold statement. Well, it's not, it's not my statement. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man, no man, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also, and from henceforth ye shall know him and have seen him. No man, I don't care who you are, I don't care if you're the Pope, or I don't care who you are. If you don't know Jesus Christ, you're not going to know the Father. That's his own words. It's on your study guide. In John's Gospel, we learn how we may have eternal life have eternal life through the word of life the incarnate son of God John 3.36 he that believeth on the son hath everlasting life that's pretty clear 
But he and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. That's pretty clear, folks. On your study guide in John's epistle, we learn how we may have fellowship with God who is light, righteousness, and love through the truth. The word is truth, that the incarnate Son of God is by the Spirit of truth that we have been given from the Holy One. 1 John 5, 9-11 If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater, for this is the witness of God which he hath testified of his Son. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself, that's the Holy Spirit. He that dwelleth not, he that believeth not, God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. If you don't have the Son, you don't have life. First John 2.20 But we, but ye have an unction from the Holy One, and you know all things. You realize it is the Spirit of truth in us that makes the Word of truth alive in us? It is the, it is the Spirit of truth in us that makes the Word of truth alive in us. And that's an important concept to understand and believe the apostle Paul uh, the apostle Paul the apostle John began his epistle by making it very clear that the truth that we have heard concerning the word of life is is sure it's true it's something you can be you can be uh, uh, you can believe in and why is that because he spent those first couple of verses to tell you something and that something was I was an eyewitness of this truth I was there I touched him I handled him I heard him I saw him he was an eyewitness so we have an eyewitness account Listen to me. There are those out there, those who are even standing behind a pulpit that will tell you you cannot believe that truth. Oh, they'll be very clever in their wording. But the essence of what they're saying is, is you cannot believe this book. You need to believe me. Don't do that, folks. Don't do that. On your study guide, the confirmation of this truth is for the purpose of assuring those who hold to this truth that ye also may have fellowship with us. So confirmation and hold. On your study guide, the us that John refers to are those who have received the gospel and have believed on it for eternal life. You can receive the gospel. But if you don't believe on that gospel, you don't have eternal life. I have witnessed to a lot of people who have received the gospel. They'll tell me, yeah, yeah, I understand what you're saying. But they'll also tell me, I just can't believe that. There's got to be something more. There's got to be something more. John 1.12 says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. That word power means authority. If you are a born-again believer in God, you have the authority of being a son of God. 
there's a lot to that and that's another six week study those who were born of God are called sons of God 1 John 3 1 through 3 behold what manner of love the father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and doth not appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. You are a son of God. Why don't we act like it? On your study guide, the truth is this. In our being sons of God, this sets us apart from the rest of humanity. And it is for this very reason of being set apart that we are hated by the world. John fifteen nineteen says, If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, Therefore the world hateth you. You know, we sometimes wonder why people don't get along with us. Well, this may be the reason right here. You know, Jesus spoke these words directly to his disciples at this time. And these, these words that Jesus spoke here in John 15, yes, they directly applied to his disciples. For he indeed chose them out of the world. They belong to him. They belong to him. But do these words just apply to those 11 men that were standing there? Remember, Judas had already taken off. So do these words only apply to these 11 men? There are some people that will teach, yep, that that only applies to these 11 men. It applies to all of us who have received Christ as Savior. Well, Jeff, chapter and verse. Okay, you asked for it, I'll give it to you. John 17, 14 through 20, if you have any understanding of what that is, and that is the great intercessory prayer of our, of our priest, our, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now listen to what he says here in John 17, 14. In fact, turn to John 17, 14. Put your little peepers on these words, folks. Jeff, this is his hour. Huh? Now he's a dead <laughs> John 17, 14. He's praying to the Father. He says, I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. Boy, I tell you what, there is a big temptation for me to start preaching on a lot of this stuff here. There is a lot here, folks. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. He says, Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so also have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Now look what he says here. Neither pray I for these alone, 
but for them also which, which shall believe on me through their word. Now who is that? It's us. It's us. Their word that is believed on is the gospel of Jesus Christ that the apostles preached in their day, that Paul preached and wrote about in his day. It's that, it's that gospel that's been preached since Pentecost chapter 2 from countless numbers of preachers and teachers and countless millions have believed on including those of us if you are truly born again in this very room. So the prayer that he prayed on his disciples is applies to us as well. Applies to us as well. It is this message. Now listen to this. It is this message that John bases, B-A-S-E-S, our relationship with God, and the basis, B-A-S-I-S, of our fellowship with God. I'm going to say that again because that's important. It is this message that John bases, B-A-S-E-S, our relationship with God upon, and the basis, B-A-S-I-S, of our fellowship with God. If you do not have Jesus Christ, you do not have a relationship with the Father. And it is His Word that is the basis of our fellowship. B-A-S-I-S. You have to have the living Word of life as well as the written Word of life. 1 John 1.5 says, This then is the message which we have heard of Him and declare unto you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. So on your study guide... It is for this reason that there is tension between the sons of God and the world and this tension is intensified when the sons of God walk in the light as he is in the light. Intensified. So you, you disagree with that? Yeah, yeah. Listen to me, folks. It's not our light that the world hates. Okay? Uh, They get along just fine with our light. Uh, When we fail to walk in the light, when we're, you know, when we're carnal, when when we're hiding that light under the bushel basket of our flesh, they get along just fine with us. So they don't have a problem with our light. But when you start walking in the light as he is in the light, that's when you're going to start having issues. That's when you're going to start having issues. John 3.20 says, For everyone that doeth evil hateth light. Hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be manifest, that they are wrought in God. Now you get along with folks just fine. But as soon as you introduce Jesus Christ into the conversation or into the relationship, guess what happens? Yeah, there's, a, there's an animosity that begins to surface. There's an ugliness that begins to surface. You can, I've seen it on people's countenance. 
They'll be laughing and carrying on and joking around. And then when you introduce Jesus Christ into the conversation, all of a sudden that countenance changes. Because that old man just, he's, he's afraid to die. That old man is afraid to die. And when you present the light, that old man knows the jig is up. And so it'll do everything it can not to die. It's also the same way with carnal believers. You, you fellowship with carnal believers, everything is just fine until you bring in the light, until you start addressing their carnality, and then all of a sudden, things change. Things change. Now, admittedly, sometimes we sons of God can behave like jerks. I bought the t-shirt. I, I get it. And, and when we do behave like a jerk, you know, I think we kind of deserve the business. I mean, we bring it on ourselves. That's what Peter says in 1 Peter 3, 14-17. He says, But and if ye suffer for righteousness', righteousness sake, happy are ye. And be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience, that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, that that they may be ashamed that it falsely accuse your good conversation of Christ. For it is better, if the will of God be so, that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. And sometimes the trouble we experience in our life, we bring it on ourselves. Because we're not walking in the light. But when we walk as he walked, you're going to find yourself hated for this. You are. Now, when I say hated, I'm not saying they're going to come up and slap you on the face or anything like that. But there's going to be tension in that relationship. And when that happens, are we to mope around and feel sorry for ourselves? Are we to say, oh, woe is me? Are we to say, well, I'm not going to do that again. I'm going to just, to get, I'm going to go along to get along. No, no. Peter says, happy are you. Happy are you when you suffer for righteousness, righteousness sake and not for your own sake. You know? Matthew 5.11, Jesus says, Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Make sure it's for his sake and not because you're an idiot. Rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. You're in good company, guys. If you're walking in the light and somebody doesn't like that light, you're in good company. Look how they treated Jesus. And you're surprised that the world doesn't treat you any differently? No, if, if, if you're suffering for righteousness' sake, if it's because of the light shining in you that people don't get along with you, rejoice in that. You're doing something right. I would be more fearful about people getting along with me who are pretty sketchy. They have no problem with me. I'd better start examining my own walk.
We're to be a, a light on the hill, not blend. And unfortunately, that's what's happening in many, many, many churches today. They're beginning to blend with the world in order to reach the world. And sadly, you can't tell the difference between a Christian and a worldling. Being sons of God, we have a great and wonderful blessing bestowed upon us. And that great and wonderful blessing is fellowship with the Father. Fellowship with the Father. On your study guide, it is this fellowship with the Father and His Son that the darkness comprehended not. That is the underlying theme of this entire epistle of John. And this same fellowship is the only means that assures us that our joy may be full. That's what he says in 1 John 1, 4, And these things write me unto you, that your joy may be full. The study, on your study guide, the joy that John assures us that we may experience is made possible to us only as we fellowship with the source of this joy and with those who also know who this source is as well. And it can prove quite difficult. And it can prove very awkward when you try to fellowship with someone who is not in fellowship with the Lord. And vice versa. Somebody who's walking in the Lord has a difficult time fellowshipping with me when I'm not walking in the light. I can be a very difficult person to like when I'm not walking in fellowship with God. Am I the only one that's that, that is that way? I bet I'm not. Not physically. It's <laughs> is it impossible? Yeah, the Bible talks about unequally yoked. You know, the same fellowship that John writes about in the epistle is the same fellowship that Jesus Christ spoke to his disciples about. In John 15:11, Jesus said, "These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full." Jesus knew this joy of fellowship with the Father. And he spoke to his disciples on that night of his betrayal of that joy that he had. He was getting ready to face the cross. But yet still he's talking about this joy that he has being in fellowship with the Father and he desires that this same joy that he has would remain in them. So what was the basis of our Lord's joy? What was the basis of his fellowship with the Father? Psalms 40 verse 8. I delight to do thy will, O my God, yea, thy laws within my heart. That's a messianic psalm. That's a psalm that is prophetically speaking of the coming Christ. And if you, if you study this out through the Old Testament, one of the benchmarks of the coming Christ found in the Old Testament was this joy-filled obedience to the will of God. Joy-filled obedience to the will of God. 
the joy of the Lord's fellowship with the Father was his knowing, his delighting in the will of the Father. John 4.34, Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. John 6.38, For I am come down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. John 8.29, And he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. Now what does that say to us? Being in the will of the Father is key for us sons of God. Those who know God will know the joy of knowing God, of being fellowship with God when we are in the will of God. Now come on, be honest. When you're out of the will of God, are you filled with joy? I know I'm not. I'm miserable and I make those around me miserable because I'm not in the will of God. I know when I'm out of the will of God. Because I have a stinky heart attitude. And I snap at people. I say rude things to people. You know, I brood and mope. Is that joy of fellowship with the Father? No. That's being out of the will of God. It's being out of the will of God. When I walk around all full of pride and puffed up and conceit and think I'm all that in a bag of chips, when I look down my nose on my brothers and sisters in Christ thinking that I'm such a privileged so-and-so, is that being in the will of God? No. No. Being in the will of the Father is key for the sons of God. So on your study guide, don't miss this. This joy that is ours to enjoy is the result of our fellowship. And this fellowship is dependent upon certain conditions. Unlike our salvation, right? God places no conditions on our salvation except that we believe. Because he's done all the work. But in regards to our fellowship with God, there are certain conditions. Certain conditions that we must meet, and these conditions that we we will address throughout the throughout this lesson. I'm going to have to stop there. I have to stop there. Time, people are start coming in. That's one of the disadvantages of being in here. But let me say this, folks. I'm getting ready to talk about joy. And I, 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 I really personally wrestle with this. And you can ask Diane because I bounced some of this off of, off of Diane. So she's pretty bruised. But uh, this, is, this, for, this is a challenging topic. And so when I'm getting ready to, to talk about, when I'm getting ready to teach on as far as the joy, I'm going to tell you I'm, going to, I'm doing it with fear and trembling. Because there's so much nonsense in the church about joy. And I'm going to address some of that nonsense. And um, 
Some of us are guilty of that nonsense. So, if I step on toes, (laughs) I don't apologize. But joy is serious. And when we're talking about fellowship with the Father and this full joy that we can have with fellowship with the Father, don't you want to do away with all of the smoke and mirrors and get to the heart of the matter? I do. I do. Because I'm guilty of some of this stuff too. So that's what we'll pick up in our lesson when we get back together. And um, we'll just stop right there. All right, so let's go ahead and close out in a word of prayer. And then we'll get ready for the next service. Father in heaven, we come to you, Lord, and we are grateful that it, that this, this joy of fellowship with you is made available because of Jesus Christ. That you yourself and the person of your spirit dwells within us. And I know that your spirit wants to have fellowship with us. I know that your spirit within us wants us to, to experience this joy. And, and Lord, a, a joy that just overcomes everything that this world throws at us, everything that this world offers to us, everything that this world takes from us. Uh, This joy that we have in you is eternal joy. It's an everlasting joy. It's a joy that no man taketh from us. And for that, we are so grateful. So, Father, we pray, Lord, as we look at this topic of this joy and having fellowship with you, that we would indeed just brush away all of the dust and ashes and that we would get to the gold that you want us to have. We thank you and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen.